0: The Volume. Soup with Coop is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win.
1: My next guest on Soup with Coop is a four-year starter at Duke, is a two-time national championship coach, is a lawyer, a broadcaster, a journalist, a tweeter, and a lover of soup. We'll find out if he's a lover of coop. Welcome to the show, Jay Billis. Cooper, thanks for having me.
2: It's an, honor. it's an honor to eat soup with you.
1: Are you a big, I mean, do you love soup? I mean, that's the word on the street, but do you, are you an avid
2: soup eater? I like soup as long as it's uh, a heavy soup. I don't like light soups or cold soups. I like hot soup and it has to be a heavy, substantial soup. And today, what are we having? We're having New England clam chowder today. And yours looks insubstantial, by the way.
1: Jay, we're not off to a good start in the fact that you're already accusing me of not having New England clam chowder, but you must be an expert because I was struggling this morning and I'm stuck with a mediocre bowl of chicken and wild rice so I apologize for not (laughs) (laughs) delivering you know answering the bell I'm a I'm a fraud.
2: Yeah it's difficult to get up in the morning and find good New England clam chowder that's why I did mine in advance.
1: Do you ever stray and go completely off the wall and have a little Manhattan clam chowder have you ever done something? No
2: no I'm not a big vegetable eater so Manhattan clam chowder has too many stray vegetables in it. And is too close to like minestrone or something like that. I like. uh, I do tend to go to. I'm not a creamy food person, but I like lobster bisque. I like. I like creamy soups for some reason. I like uh, tomato basil soup when it's creamier and stuff like that. So I'm I'm destined to be a fat old man because of it. I was doing
1: some research on New England clam chowder, and I'm sure this is what influenced you. But it really it was popular. Got popular in the 1700s, but really got popular. When it was featured in um, Herman Melville's Moby Dick, which is around the you know
2: mid eighteen hundreds, I'm sure that was probably the big influence for you. That when I first read Melville, that's <laughs> when I started getting into clam chowder. I was going to other soups. Um, uh, I was you know big into gruel early on <laughs> because of Dickens, and then Melville got me to uh, to clam chowder. So that, that's very astute of you to pick that up. You had no idea this was going to be an English 201 class, did you? Yeah. I didn't go to I didn't go to any of my English classes. I went to Duke. So we didn't have we didn't have to attend class, actually. Is it is
1: it harder to stay in Duke than it is to get in Duke
2: or other way around? Duke's a little bit like Ole Miss. Easy to get into, hard to get out of. Mm-hmm. That's the only time anyone's ever compared those two institutions. I do appreciate it. Um
1: it's I think it's a great time to talk to you, Jay. You're you're outspoken on um on what's going on in college with his name, image, and likeness and players getting paid, but also at the same time, your mentor and um, you know, one of the the great maybe the greatest coach of all time is is having his final season in Coach K. Looking back when you're a young recruit out of California, a six-eight prospect, you know, a, a highly recruited prospect, and Coach K is. They're not, you know, ten people in the world that know who Coach K is outside of Durham. What gave you the uh, the insight to say I'm gonna I'm gonna put my career in the hands of this young man, and you know, forty years later he'll still be coaching and be have five national championships.
2: Well, honestly, I didn't think about nor care about the forty years later part. I, I only cared about the four uh, of mine, and uh, maybe that that's selfish, but it's all I really thought about. And I didn't have a particularly good experience with my high school coach. And I really wanted to have a, a, a positive experience in college. And I, it, it, I realized at that time, at 17 years old, that that was the only time in my basketball life I was going to get to choose who I played for. And so I really took the recruiting process seriously. And I, And more than anything, I was choosing a coach, not a school. And I know like folks probably wouldn't want to hear that. You know, they, they think that you should choose the school that's right for you and everything else takes care of itself. But for me, it was the opposite that choose the coach you want and everything else will take care of itself. Cause if I wasn't happy in my basketball life, I wasn't going to be happy with any aspect of college. And oddly enough, Cooper, I came down to, so uh, coach K was on that list. Uh, Lou Olson was at Iowa at the time. And Mm -hmm. that was, that was my second choice and then Jim Beheim at Syracuse, and a guy named Ted Owens at, uh, at Kansas. Those were the four coaches I liked the best and the four I came down to. And oddly enough, like all four of them have been Final Four coaches and Hall of Fame and all that stuff. Um, but I couldn't have imagined that Coach K would be all of that. Uh, not only all he would accomplish, but he would be all of that to me. And, and you'd get a chance that, you know, I'm 57, and my coach is still where I played. And that that doesn't happen. Um, that that's a crazy um, stroke of of luck and blessing and all, whatever you want to call it. To and my relationship with the school is better as a result of him still being there. If that makes sense. Like when uh, we've all got a bunch of friends who who have you know they love their coach, but when the coach left, got fired, whatever, uh, their relationship with the school was diminished a little bit. And that hasn't happened for 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 me or for us. And that's that's pretty lucky. No,
1: I think you're right on that. Most people um, who have played, played somewhere and then obviously things change a ton more now, but really the most consistent person within an athletic program is usually either the equipment manager or the trainer. And that's the guy that, you know, you latch onto Oh, possum, still at old mess. I can always go get a pair of shorts if I'm, you know, if I'm working out and need an extra pair of socks or something. And then but they've been, you know, it just, it's lucky for a recruit now, Jay, I mean, looking back at your experience, to even by the time he figures out who he wants and even finishing his career, be under the same, same coach, much less the same staff.
2: Yeah, if and especially in basketball, if they stick around at all, um, I would have had to have stuck around. But, um, you know, some of the really talented players, they leave early. They're not thinking about that relationship as much. But, you know, I, I, part of me, Cooper thinks I got really lucky. And then the other part of me was it was a it was a decision that was easy to make because Coach K was so trustworthy. Um, I didn't have to I wasn't looking at his resume and I wasn't uh, maybe blinded by the shine of of what you might be blinded by now. Not that you'd make a bad decision as a result of it. But at that time, I mean, I, I kept coming back to I like him the best. I mean, I trust him the most. And, uh, and it was a, a relatively easy decision in that regard. And, you know, back then, I'm older than you. But back then, um, when you, when you signed, you didn't sign till April. And so I, I committed in December, because I wanted recruiting over with when I knew I was tired. I didn't want any more phone calls. I did not want to talk to anybody else. I, I, I did not enjoy the recruiting process from the uh, selling points. You know, it was kind of like you're being sold a used car all the time. And I didn't like being pursued that way, but um, once I signed, uh, I was I was really happy because then I knew it was completely over. Because uh, even even in April back then, March and April, when coaches would get fired, the new guy would come in and say, "Hey, you want to change your mind? You know, a new sheriff in town, all that stuff." And I, I just I did not enjoy that at all.
1: I'd be curious how you enjoyed from the other side when you joined Coach K's staff recruiting kids. Was that? challenging. Did you enjoy that part um, any more than being recruited itself?
2: Well, recruiting was easy for me because I was a graduate assistant. So the only thing I did was you know you might uh, meet recruits and and squire them around on campus, but I did not have to do off-campus recruiting as a graduate assistant. And so I was pretty happy about that. Tommy Amaker, Mike Bray, they were the the chief recruiters. So um, you know those guys did all that stuff. Uh, I was one of the guys that would maybe once in a while pick up a recruit at the hotel and and get them to, to breakfast with coach K before they went to the airport or something like that. And, uh, and, you know, I remember sitting one time um, at breakfast with uh, uh, I was one of the guys with Chris Weber uh, mm-hmm. when he was being recruited and, and looking at him going, man, if whoever gets this guy is going <laughs> to win a lot of games. Uh, he was, he was a stud.
1: Did you know when you were coaching that you we're not long for coaching. I mean, you won two national championships in three years. Um, did you think I, I'm? I think I want to get on the other side of basketball.
2: I I thought I would stay with coaching because what happened? I played pro ball for a few years in in Italy. Um, that that was you know sort of my level. And uh, after about three years of playing over there, Coach K called me and offered me a coaching job. And uh, he had a position open on his staff, and and I had applied to Duke Law School. Uh, thinking that whenever I was done playing, whether it was six years, 10 years, 12 years overseas, I'd go go to law school. And so he uh, he offered me this this job. And I thought, you know, this is a good opportunity to get into coaching at a good level. And so I took the took the position I got admitted to law school at the same time. And it was his idea that I do both that I coach and go to law school. And uh, so I did that. And I thought early on, I thought I would I would choose coaching as a profession, because I didn't really want to be a lawyer. Right. I wanted the law degree. And so uh, when, when my wife and I got married, uh, when we got engaged, we kind of talked about what's the right, what's the right thing for our family, not necessarily what, what did I want to do? or What did she want to do? What, what did we want to do? We thought coaching would not be the best for a family because we'd be moving all the time. And, and uh, you know, I'd I'd probably get fired a lot and be looking for other jobs <laughs> and all that stuff. So so we we settled on being a lawyer, and then broadcasting came after that.
1: And really, your first uh, feel free to eat, Jay. I don't want to uh, make you you know starve to death with cold <laughs> soup. But first gig right out of the gates is is actually calling games at Cameron Indoor. And if anyone's never been there, I've only been there one time. I went up several years ago, and I went to a Duke UVA game, the one where Grayson Allen hit the shot at the end, may have traveled, if not, it was fantastic, brought my boys, and it's just one of the great bucket list things that, you know, you talk about, but you finally do, and uh, to be, to play in there, to compete, to sit on the bench and in the call games is, um, that's, that's pretty magical.
2: It was, it's been really cool, Um, and the more, uh, like, having kind of grown up there as a basketball player, practice there every day, and uh, and played there, and then my broadcast career started there. Uh, so I started doing games there um, while I was practicing law, and I, I really did it just to get out of the office. I thought it'd be fun, uh, but I wasn't sure where it would lead, and it led to something nice, and that was great. But early on, I think it 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 really helped my broadcast career uh, because. It was right after I'd coached there. So I knew all the plays. I knew everything they were running, including like what they were running in an out-of-bounds play. So I'd say, hey, you know, Chris Collins is going to get the shot. And then he would get it. And people thought, oh my God, you know, this guy knows, oh, well, how does he know that? And I was like, well, oh, I was there last year. I know." Yeah. But then as, you know, you knew what the opponents were running. But then as the years go on, the amount of work it would take to know all that stuff, the amount of film you'd have to study, I would never be able to get out of the house if I did all that.
1: Coach K is, as everybody knows him. And he's he's always he's pretty accessible. He has his own radio show, but he's still kind of a mystery. How he can be so patient and seems like I mean he gets mad clearly, but he's handled so many different egos and such. And and I, I was curious: does he handle every single person differently, or is it just this is the way Coach K does it? And you either buy in or you don't. Because it's he's had personalities come through. Durham that have uh, and talents that probably needed some massaging?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, he um, well, one, he's not as patient as he comes across. Uh, you know, he he, and that's a good thing, because whenever there's an issue that needs to be dealt with, he doesn't let it go. If it's a small thing, he handles it right away. So it doesn't become a big thing. And he doesn't really worry about how uh, like he'll handle people's emotions with it but he doesn't worry about if he's going to step on somebody's toes or you know kind of derail the train a little bit and go in a different direction as long as it it, it's better to get the train to the ultimate destination and your question about does he handle everything the same he's got principles that he doesn't budge on but he treats everybody uh according to the way they should be treated so it's like the thing about um you know, I'm, I'm fair to, I, I'm not going to treat you the same, but I'm going to treat you fairly. So everybody gets treated fairly, but it's not the same. So of course, you know, maybe, maybe one guy is, is better motivated by getting on him. So he'll get on that guy. The other guy's better motivated by, you know, putting your arm around him and all that stuff. I was the, I was the one that uh, was better motivated by screaming at him and calling him names uh, I would have preferred to be the guy that got the arm around uh, treatment with whisper in the ear, but, um, but he's great. Like Christian, he coached Christian Leitner differently than others. And there are some guys that um, that he would have to like build, build their ego up. Like he wants big egos. Uh, like I remember him talking to the Olympic team saying, you know, don't, don't go buy into this, check your ego at the door thing. Like bring your ego with you. He goes, I want, Big egos and and egos of good players, but just be prepared to blend your egos for the the common good. That kind of thing, because um, there are a lot of good there are a lot of good me's in there. It's not you know you want a we mentality, <laughs> but but there are a lot of good me's in there. So you want you want I've always put it we over me, but not exclusive of me. You know that, that I think that's the way he goes about it. He doesn't say it that way, but that's the way I would would characterize it.
1: Because he's coached on Olympic teams. I mean, the biggest start, I mean, you know, when you're coaching Jordan and Pippen and, you know, Ewing, and I mean, it's, that's, I would, I would think that would be an adjustment for a college coach who is, you know, molding men and all of a sudden, you know, at the, at the next level to kind of, you know, you're dealing with um, full grown men that have been there that are not as easy to, I guess, maneuver.
2: Yeah, I mean, I saw a few practices, not a lot when, when they would be in Vegas. And I think the biggest difference in the Olympic team and then his team was the amount he didn't have to teach as much um, with the Olympic team and they didn't go as long. Uh, so the the amount like he would ask them how long you want to go, stuff like that. So they, they, they wouldn't practice as long. It was a totally different scenario. Um, but, but the, the team stuff that he had with them, like he had one thing that I, I mean, I tell this story a fair amount, but, uh, it's, it, it was really impactful on me. Uh, coach K and I had to go to some event in Las Vegas while they were training camp. And, uh, and so I got, he said, meet hey we're having a team meeting, meet me here and, and we'll leave after the meeting. And I got there early to make sure I was on time and the meeting hadn't started yet. So he says, come on to the meeting. So they he's talking, you know, he's got Chris Paul and Paul George and all these, you know, all these guys in there, Russell Westbrook, LeBron, you name it, the the best players in the league, Kevin Durant. And he he finishes the meeting and he says, all right, when you guys get back to your rooms, your hotel rooms, there's going to be something waiting in there when you get back and it's going to be your your USA jersey. And he said, look, all of us got our first jersey at one point in our lives, whether it's your little league jersey, your first varsity high school jersey, those of you that played in college, your first all-star jersey in the NBA, whatever it was. And he said, I want you to take the jersey and lay it out on the bed. And I want you to look at it and think about how cool this is and, and how we, you know, we get to do a lot of really cool things in our, our lives. And, and sometimes if you're not careful, you can take it for granted. And, and he, he said, don't take special for granted you know, don't take special for granted. And I, I really thought about that a lot. It blew me away that he would say that to those guys and that they they received it that way because it really made it, it, it seemed to make an impact on them. But I started thinking about it in my life. Like when I go to these arenas, you're talking about like Cameron or, you know, you go to the Breslin Center at Michigan State or uh, Allen Fieldhouse at Kansas, whatever. You know, am I, am I looking at that? Like the first time I walked into those places, I was in awe. And, and so grateful for the opportunity. Am I still looking at things that way? Am I taking special for granted? And he's really good at that stuff. Like, he's so good at, at getting you to think about what's important. And, you know, he's not going to X and O you to death. He's going he's gonna to reach you at the right level. And it's, it's, that's a pretty amazing uh, quality he has as a coach and a person, really.
1: Think I might need a little life coach action myself. I'm always kind of <laughs> looking forward to the next thing and quit, you know, get to really soak up and embrace and um realize how special things are. That's 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 neat that he does that. And it's neat that he can have that sort of impact on those, on those uh talents he surrounds himself with. That's I I always just, you know, there they're coaches that are mysteries. And Coach K is still kind of a mystery because I'd love, you know, you always want to you see him, you think you know him, but getting in the locker room, especially being in practice when he's, you know, when he's after you, when y'all are dogging it one day, I, I would like to experience that one day. I had a coach who was kind of a Bobby Knight clone. And I was the guy just like you, Jay, that got the wrath, you know, Randy Livingston misses a shot and he yells at me for, you know, not having my shirt tail tucked in. I'm like, how's this working? But I guess that
2: we know our role, don't we? Well, uh, and it was, it was, uh, it was not always pleasant but but the funniest stories came from that so so oftentimes when i get together with my teammates uh the stuff that was said to me is brought up brought up first so at least i've got that in my back pocket so i got it to to, you know quote a uh, caddyshack i got that going for me which is nice (laughs) so nice
0: so you're a sports fan that's why you're listening baby but if you're considering getting in on the fun of sports gambling I want to let you know about a great resource, the Action Network. And I'm all over it like, Revis Island. I have nothing but great things to say about it. The Action Network is where fans go when they're ready to bet smarter and turn a profit betting on sports. In fact, their free Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. With the Action app, you can see the latest picks and articles from Action Network gambling experts as well as personalities like Colin Cowherd Compare odds from different sports books and track every bet you make so you always know how your picks are doing. So if the game means more to you, download the free Action Network app and start betting smarter. Now, Jay, you've
1: been very outspoken, and I'm, I'm, I'm really curious on your When this started, your stance on the idea of amateurism being kind of a sham going forward and players in college being paid, assuming they're in students. They remain in good standing on the on the student side. When did this come about? And then I just what's your thoughts there? Because it's this is I've just been on the road uh, with my son recruiting and the name, image and likeness conversation happened at every single stop. So this is at the forefront of uh, of what college sports are going to be about, maybe even high school. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I have some questions because I don't understand it all.
2: Well, Cooper, it started when I was in college. I was a member of the NCAA's long-range planning committee. I was an athlete representative on that committee, and they probably regret letting me in there because I learned how everything worked, and I learned how policy was made and what was behind it. Then I also had the experience as a player understanding that while while they talk about amateurism like like, like it's virginity or or something, um, what's really going on is every good player in football and basketball is ineligible according to the rules cuz everybody at the, especially at that time and I know at this time has taken something like even even as little as you know you're you're in oxford i'm in durham you can take your girlfriend to a restaurant that you go to a lot and the owner of the place says no this this one's on us um, technically that's against uh, amateurism rules and and you know there are other things i mean heck when i was in college um and in the 70s 80s into the 90s players in in the in the acc and other leagues they sold their tickets yeah um they got complimentary tickets they sold them and yeah. that happened everywhere and the coaches all knew about it the administrations knew about it um that was the way the world worked and so all there are a lot of people out there that are your age and my age that are on the other side of this philosophically than i am that are out there talking about the purity of college sports i'm going. I know you sold your tickets. Yeah. Like, what not are you talking value. about? Not for face yeah. value, Jay. But but, but anyway, so that, that kind of thing, I always felt like it was a sham in a lot of different ways, but it always bothered me that all this money is being made. And when, when a player said, well, how come we can't participate in, in this business? They would say, hey, if you want to get a job, go get one. So they were actually okay with us working and getting paid, just not working and getting paid in the industry that they're getting paid in and i didn't i didn't care for it i never understood the the difference between being an athlete and being a student and i never understood why somebody would say well you are getting paid you're getting a scholarship and i'm sitting next to a student a non-athlete student that's on scholarship i'm going well how? nobody's telling that person what they can earn or accept they can talk to to boosters and they can talk to alums and get jobs from them but i can't like why that's not right and what what are we doing here it, it, none of this amateurism never helped me. It didn't make me a better person, didn't make me a better student, didn't make me a better athlete. It just restricted me. And, and I didn't see the, the harm. And I still don't. Um, and then as I got older and I got into broadcasting, so th- this one was a hurdle for me. So when I was on that committee, I would, I would speak out in meetings and get shot down, whether it was uh, allowing more benefits or transfer rules, whatever it was, I'd get shot down. But I would be a good soldier when I went out in the public. Like, the committee made a decision. The NCAA made a decision. I'm supporting that. Um, and so I did that. But when I got to be a broadcaster, I started thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm criticizing officials when they make a mistake. I criticize coaches. I criticize players. I criticize the rules of play if I don't like them. Why don't we have a shot clock? Why don't we have this? All that stuff. And I'm keeping my mouth shut on NCAA policy when it's time to discuss it. Not in a game, but you know, other times. Right. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to start talking about this and I'm going to start sharing my thoughts on it. And it's going to be informed and hopefully it's going to be right. And, and I, I felt like the NCAA had been violating federal antitrust law forever. And uh, and I said that. And now the the Supreme Court has said it too. And it the Supreme Court carries a little bit more weight.
1: Jay, how do you think it's going to work? And I just here, like in a in a in a setting where you know, a kid's coming out of high school. He's a hot shot. And, and maybe it's easier in basketball to control because you have smaller people. But in a big locker room and a football deal, you have kind of definitely some some stars and then some guys that, you know, the left guard might not be getting the same love as a, as a starting quarterback or what have you. How do you anticipate this happening? how How do you see kids getting paid? Like, is it the local car dealer saying, hey – Timmy, we'd like you to be on a billboard and we'll give you X amount. Or is it Nike on a bigger scale paying an individual player? How do you see it? I know it's going to be the Wild West for a little while until they figure it out. But I'm just curious, kind of conceptually, how you see it all unfolding.
2: Well, and and, and your question is revealing in how we have been conditioned to look at this. So uh, first you say, how are we going to control this? Well, we don't need to control it because we don't control any other aspect of this business. We're not asking how do we control coaches' pay, how do we control facility spending, how do we control travel. We don't ask that. So, what I would say, Cooper, is the way I the way we're looking at it, uh, way we should look at it, is it's the free market, just like everything else, and it'll work itself out just fine. Uh, and, and because we're not asking, you know, how are we going to deal with all these different players of different ability levels when it comes to playing time? Because the quarterback is going to play more, the starting quarterback is going to play more than the second and third string quarterback. And that's not really fair because the second and third string quarterback, they work just as hard. And what about their feelings? You know, we don't don't worry about that. We don't worry about not every player and not every athlete in, in college sports gets a scholarship. In fact, most athletes don't. And we're not worried about the inequities there. But man, when money comes in, it has to be all the same and there's going to be fights in the locker room. Not, not that you're saying that, but, but a lot of people are. Right. And I've never bought that. Like I, I think sports is the ultimate meritocracy. Um, I, I knew who the best player on my team was and I did not resent uh, uh, the fact. He should have gotten yelled at more, but I did not resent um, you know, a- anything that, that he got uh, relative to me because I knew it was fair. Um, and I don't anticipate any more problems than there would be problems in the coach's locker room because the assistants don't get paid as much as the head guy. I I don't think that's as, that's as big of a deal, but I do think that once we get over this mental hurdle of it's never been this way before, there's always been this bright line. You know, I I mean, I, I hate to do this, but you go back to the virginity example and, and you say, do you really believe that every couple that's getting married are virgins? And and would be would we be shocked to know that they've actually been with each other before? Um, you know, like come on, man, we, we've created this ridiculous fiction. Let's just get rid of it because we've never asked any of these. Like, there there's going to be drastic change. It feels like drastic change because there's been so much inaction over the years. But you know, from the time you got you played and I played to now, there's been incredibly drastic change on the revenue generation side. You know, like, like we played in the eighties. So back then our coaches made less than a hundred thousand dollars. They're all making millions upon millions now. And nobody said, Hey, we need to pump the brakes here. This is not what this is all about. We need to, we need to recalibrate this. But now with regard to the athlete, there's, there's worry about that. And and I, for one, am not worried about it. I think it'll be just fine. Uh, And it'll be above board and honest. And we're not going to be policing. Did this guy take get a tattoo? Did this guy get this for free? Did he get a did he get a discount at the local footlocker? Who cares? I mean, let's just let's just like, you know, that's normal human behavior. Let's stop criminalizing that and uh, and deal with the real stuff, which is if you step out of bounds, it's my ball. And, you know, if if you foul me on a three pointer, get three free throws and move on. Jay, do you think it's going to be big in recruiting?
1: You think they'll have packages say, hey, if you're going to Auburn, you're going to, we got, you know, $40,000 worth of stuff for this, you know, outside linebacker. And then you go to Georgia, he goes, hey, Auburn's promised you 40. Can we do something bigger? Is it going to be a bidding war? And then also, do you think there's some schools that are maybe less relevant right now that might be able to get into the game because of their resources more so than others?
2: Yes. Um, uh, To the second part of the question, yes. So the the first part, is it going to go into recruiting? Yes. Um, Just like now, a media guide talks more about how many pros, how many NFL and NBA players they have than it does about telling you about the current players. Those media guides now are for recruiting. Um, So they sell the NFL, the NBA now. How can we can get you there? That wasn't part of the conversation when we were playing uh, because it wasn't as big. It's a big issue now. Uh, And that's fine, uh, because you can get educated and uh, pursue a professional dream at the same time. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. We don't tell that to, uh, we're not telling a musician, hey, you know, only 2% of musicians ever play at Carnegie Hall. I mean, what are you (laughs) doing? Yeah, we don't do that. We only do it with athletes. Uh, So we are going to see, you know, and and the NCAA and the conferences can, and I think it's going to be at the conference level, come up with rules, whether they want, Uh, their schools setting up uh, endorsement opportunities for their players and and participating. I think in the long run, what we're going to find is that the use of the university mark, the logo, and the player name and likeness are going to be really valuable to the university. It's going to open up revenue streams. They're going to want to do it. And that's going to be okay. There'll be nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and, but I don't see it being a, a major problem going forward. I think we'll just have to adjust our mindset to it. Uh, uh, and, but the, 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 I think the second part of your question will, will, uh, schools that haven't been as competitive, will, will it make them less or more competitive? Here's the way I look at it. So if you, if you took, I mentioned Kansas before. So if you took Kansas and Wichita state in basketball. Wichita State has little or no opportunity to get anybody that Kansas is recruiting out of high school. If they could pay or provide endorsement opportunities, then Kansas's third best recruit, uh, Wichita State could provide them more as their top recruit than Kansas could as their third. So, so th- there'll be a decision point for a player to make. Would I rather make more money at Wichita State than, or be the third wheel at Kansas? Just like you would with playing time, but they can offer like money may be a little bit different. But I don't think like some of the narrative now is well. Alabama is just going to be the best team in football. Well, first of all, they're the best team now because you can't pay. Um, but they they make it seem like every good player is going to go to Alabama now because Alabama may have the most most money. But you're not going. It, to, It's been proven already. Jalen Hurts and Tua low are not going to be on the same team. Because nobody is going to sit; they're going to go somewhere else. And same thing, like if that theory were true, then uh, uh, you know Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, uh, Ryan Day—they'd all be on the same coaching staff at Alabama. But they—they they, they want to be head coaches. It's different. So I don't think we have to worry about as many of these things. But and we certainly don't need to worry about competitive balance because there is none now. There's none in football, and there's none in basketball.
0: We have some upsets. But we don't have competitive balance across the board. Soup with Coop is proud to be presented by FanDuel. Never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great! FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required, with a free entry to an NBA contest. Plus, for those who want to deposit, FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Why do you play on FanDuel? FanDuel Fantasy is an easy-to-use app. Pick a new team every game, different and unique contests across sports in relation to your skill level, compete against your friends in head-to-head matchups. FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required, with a free entry to an NBA contest. And FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Go to FanDuel.com forward slash cowherd to sign up today. That is FanDuel.com forward slash cowherd so they know we sent you. FanDuel, more ways to win. And what's, to make, I guess to elaborate, the
1: school is not involved in this. I mean, the school is not paying them. It's, it's whoever else, but the school is probably going to be the broker in some cases. Or do you think every prayer will have a, an
2: agent? I think both. Um, so, this, this based on the rules as in the guidelines as they're being put out now, the NCAA and the member institutions are deathly afraid of players being paid by the school uh, in the future. So they're saying the school can't be involved in any of that. Although the player will have to report income to the school, will have to you know register their contracts and let the school look at them, all that stuff. There has to be like full disclosure, which I find uh, ludicrous. But, but that's the way they're looking at it. The problem with that, Cooper, is, is what the Supreme Court just ruled in Alston indicates that any sort of restrictions uh, in, in player compensation in the future are, are, are going to be a problem with federal antitrust law. So once the, once the NCAA allows NIL, that's always been a, a bright line as to then they'd be pros. Well, if they're pros then, their pros, you know, like like why could why would you deny them pay? Uh, so I think ultimately we're gonna be paying the schools are gonna be paying the players. It's neater, it's easier. Um, you know, Coach K can't go out and do any endorsement he wants because he basically sold that to the school when he signed his contract uh to be employed. And so they can tell him, nope, you can't do that soup commercial, you can't do that uh marijuana, you know, dispensary commercial, you know, stuff like that. It, why why can't they do that with the players? They're afraid of it. But ultimately, in this kind of multi-billion dollar business, that's where we're headed. And it also would take care of one of their biggest complaints, which is transferring. If a player, like nobody, whether it's an endorsement opportunity or nobody hands out money for free. And so uh, like it, it, to your example, if there's a local car dealership, they're going to require the player to sign a contract. And it's going to be exclusive. We're the only car dealer you can deal with over this time period. And if you get kicked out of school, if you uh, get kicked off the team, the contract's terminated. If you're academically ineligible, the contract's terminated. Stuff like that. It, it'll be normal commerce that seems to work with everything else. You know, for every other person, you know, it just boggles the mind that a college athlete is the only person in in uh, in our uh, economic life that can't you know can't handle free market you know the free market. I don't buy it. If you're saying if a, if a team is spot, if Alabama wears Nike,
1: that individual player will be prohibited from doing an Adidas deal that you're OK with that or you think that's wrong?
2: Well, if if the if the player were to sign a sign a contract with the school, that might be different. So if the school is is paying the the, the player as an employee, then then I think they could they could bargain for the right to tell that player what to wear. But to me, if it's just the NIL thing, I've probably taken us down a road. I didn't need to, but if it's just say it's just now with the NIL thing, right, right now in a lot of these States and the NCAA and and all that, they're, they're, they're saying that, you know, you can't sign a deal that conflicts with a university deal. And, and part of that was political because they, they want their universities protected in a way, you know, provide as many rights to the players, but still protect the, the universities. But, but it, it, it sort of presumes that that you know sort of the money belongs to the school, uh, so I, I think it should work just like the NFL or the NBA. You know, so so uh, to your example, like Duke has a uh, an apparel deal with Nike, so uh, you know if you're going to play for Duke, you have to wear the uniform and, and the warm ups and all that other stuff and wear them to, to as you're a university representative. But there's nothing that says you have to wear that shoe. Like mm-hmm. what? Why do you have to wear the Nike shoe? You can have your own shoe deal. Um, that's an apparel deal with the school. You can have a shoe deal, just like Steph Curry wears Under Armour and then wears the NBA's Nike uh, gear. Uh, that works just fine, and it'll work just fine uh, with regard to college sports. But the schools don't want it because they don't want anything that conflicts with their deals because they're worried if the players sign a deal. We that's money that would otherwise be in our pocket. And they look at it as their money. And, uh, and I, I see it differently, but reasonable minds can differ on that.
1: i will be anxious to see if you get some of these West Coast, the Stanfords of the world, and you know that Facebook wants to get involved. Facebook versus a car dealer in Tuscaloosa could be meaningfully different in the amount of commas in the contract. I'd be curious if Harvard got a pretty big endowment. They got a lot of people who say, you know what, I'm tired of being kicked around the Ivy League. I want to dominate. You could get some alums to say, you know, we can we can get into this race too. And next thing you know, guys taking a visit to Ohio State, Yale, Harvard, and, you know, and Alabama. I think that's going to be
2: intriguing because if the dollars are right, people will look all over the place. I agree. And it shows, how one, how big the business is, but it also shows how valuable the players are. Yes. If the players didn't have tremendous value, we wouldn't be worried about this, you know, like because some people say, hey, it's the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back. Well, then why are you worried about it? you could put anybody in that jersey? It'll be just fine. They, they know everybody knows that the, the teams with the best players win. more. That, that's all there is to it. And we can talk about coaches and, ex, you know, no great coach is going to X and O his way out of bad players. It's just not going to happen. They're going to get beat by the better players in the long run. So, so your example, like you know, we would never worry about that with coaches. If boosters got together and said, "Let's put a package together that Nick Saban can't say no to," um, we're like, "Hey, that's business." That that you know, and we that's use terms cool. like like uh, people use terms like bidding war and all that stuff, which in any other context is called normal business. I mean, you know, we 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 have a facilities issue now where rather than efficiently. Marshaling resources to to acquire talent. What we're doing is trying to get around these rules by creating these incredible environments for the players to attract them. So, Oregon, Alabama, Duke, whatever, they're building these palatial facilities. And what they're really saying is, look, we can't give the money to you, but we can spend it on you. So, look at what we're going to provide you. Like, does Clemson really need a slide? to get down instead of walking down the stairs and they need a putting green and a, yeah, like a miniature golf course for the players and barber shops and all that stuff.
1: Bowling. Wouldn't alleys, would be
2: better. If, yeah. Bowling alleys. Wouldn't it be better if they just gave the players the money and, and did this more efficiently. And then, but, but Cooper, I really believe this is true. A lot of people within the structure know and understand that administrative jobs will likely, they're the ones that are going to go away. They say other sports are going to go away. They're not. Their jobs are going to go away because a lot of these athletic departments are bigger than the Pentagon because they have the money. And, and you know, you look at, at the New England Patriots or Los Angeles Rams or the Lakers, their front offices are pretty lean. Like they make some hires that they have to, but, but um, they're not bloated because, because they put their money where it matters, which is on the floor. And uh and like, how how could it be that Alabama's facilities are better than than any NFL facility? It's because of recruiting. It has nothing to do with performance. It's because of recruiting. I couldn't agree more.
1: I I just did a tour of all of them, and um, yeah. If you have something brand new, it's unbelievable. If you have something five years old, it might as well be twenty five years old. You got to get exactly you keep up with the arms race, and you got to be able to impress these naive 17-year-old kids who don't know you know, what day it is that are trying to make some sense out of all this. Um, it's it's fascinating. I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. Jay, you have been a terrific guest. I can't thank you enough for being on. As always, we take a little bite of the soup at the end, probably good and cold, and we give it a ranking from 1 to 1,000. And uh, how did your new M clam chowder, taste at the end of an interview?
2: 1,000 because I made it. Uh, but you know, Cooper. I mean, I feel for you because I have eaten a substantial soup here, so I'm going to be satisfied for a good part of the day before I have my next meal. You ate kind of a watery, you know, chicken-based soup that you're going to have to go out and grab something to eat right now. You're going to have to go out and get a burger or something to tide you over until later. So I'm I'm the big winner here again.
1: It's rarely someone ends our show satisfied, so I'm I'm thrilled to have <laughs> you're, you're one of many, so one of few. I guess Jay, it's been a pleasure. Ken, thank you enough for joining us, and uh, I'll see you around.
2: Looking forward to it, Coop. Thanks, bud. You bet.